One thing I've always uh, liked about our church is that it is a Berean church. And the reason, the reason I like that is because no one knows what that means. Uh, and I don't mean just that I want to be weird or mysterious, uh, though I'm at least one of those things and it ain't mysterious. But the reason I, I like that uh, being a Berean church and that, I mean, outside of Nebraska and a few pockets elsewhere, it's, that's not even a thing. And no one really knows what it is. And the reason I like that is because nobody is here. Almost none of us, anyway, are here because we were born Bereans. And that's not the way it is in most other religious traditions or denominations, Right? Many of you know you are born, fill in your blank here. We're born Lutheran or Catholic or Methodist or Jewish or Muslim or Hindu. No one is here because my granddaddy was a Berean. My daddy was a Berean. So by golly, I'm a Berean. For the most part, we are here because we, we picked this. We chose this. And I like that. But be honest, those of you who grew up in a different religious tradition, have you come across things we don't do that you kind of miss or wonder about at least? Why don't we, like have you ever said, you know, when I was growing up, Lent was a very big deal. Why don't we do anything with Lent in the Berean church? Or I grew up saying the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father every Sunday. We don't do that at the Berean Church. Why not? We don't say creeds, although we sang part of one a little bit ago. It's not that we don't believe at least some of those. Have you, have you come across anything that you, that you sort of miss or wonder about? This morning, I want to exa examine a couple of things. First, just why, why don't we do some of this stuff? But then second, and maybe more importantly, I want to examine those feelings that we have. Why do I feel like I'm missing something if we don't? Because probably if you've wondered or worried about this, you don't actually miss the, the ritual. Like, I grew up saying the Lord's Prayer every Sunday in church. I don't think anyone who had to be gone in church, like by Tuesday, had this inner pining to recite the Lord's Prayer with a bunch of people. That's not, we don't miss actually the ritual, probably. We probably have this feeling like maybe there's some sort of consequences if we don't. That's what I want to explore this morning those feelings. Now, I don't have time to give a full treatment to every religious tradition or in Christendom that we don't do. So what I want to do is basically use Lent as like a test case because I was asked recently, actually every Ash Wednesday we get asked if our church does something for Ash Wednesday and we don't. Um, and recently I was asked why we don't do the Lord's Prayer. I get, we get that a lot because, again, we all come out of some other tradition 
and it's hard to change traditions at times. So we're going to use Lent mainly as sort of a test case, and I'm depending upon you because you're so wise and intelligent to be able to make some of the connections between that and apply it to other things. So why don't we observe Lent like um, as sort of a prescribed altogether thing? To answer that question, first I think we have, I have to give you a bit of a history lesson about what Lent is and where it came from, its roots. Lent is as a season that includes 40 days of focused spiritual disciplines leading up to the celebration of Jesus' resurrection on Easter Sunday. Uh, by, by spiritual disciplines, I mean things like fasting, prayer, reflection on Jesus' suffering, confession of sin. And I want to make sure you hear me say this, I am in favor of all of those things. Uh, it's, we don't, it's not that we don't do Lent because I don't like prayer or reflecting on Jesus' suffering. We do that plenty. Um, I have fasted. Uh, and confession of sin, always a good thing. Lent is actually, so, so I, I'm for those spiritual disciplines done at, for the right reasons whenever. Lent is actually 46 days long, even though it's always called this 40 days. And the reason for that is initially, uh, there's, there's 46 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday every year. But the Sundays during Lent traditionally were a break from all of those spiritual disciplines. Because during those times, you, you know, you, there's stuff you didn't eat. And there was, it was kind of a, a time of mourning and, and, and being really sorry for my sins and things like that. And Sundays were to be a break from all of that at least initially. So that's why it's a 40-day period of fasting that lasts 46 days, because the Sundays, at least initially, didn't count. Well, around the year 600, the, the term Ash Wednesday was coined, and that is when Lent became a thing. It's not mentioned in the Bible, for sure. About 600 years after Christ, uh, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church, which in Western Europe is the only, was the only game in town, um, started this as an official period of observance. Um, initially, the fasting that was done during Lent was serious fasting. It was not a different option in the school cafeteria on Fridays uh, and don't eat chocolate or something like that. Uh, initially, it was real fasting for the whole time, all of the days except for Sundays. Uh, no meat, no animal products. He basically ate bread and vegetables for 40 out of 46 days. Um, and again, you got a break on Sundays. And why... What was the purpose that the church started this tradition? There is a one-word answer for why Lent was created and mandated by the Roman Catholic Church. And the reason is, the one word is penance. Penance is, like I says on the screen here, penance, penance is a self-punishment 
someone enters into that is to play a role in their, the forgiveness of their sin. I wrote this down from the, uh, from the, the Catholic Encyclopedia that penance is, involves a sinner, and I quote, presenting himself to the priest and accusing himself of his sins while the priest pronounces judgment and sentence. If you read the canon laws, which I won't read through uh, with you, they're on the screen here, but canon laws in the Roman Catholic Church, these are rules uh, from the Pope handed down that have in the Roman Catholic Church the effect of of law. They're, they're as, as binding as Scripture. And if you read those, you'll see the word penance or the related word penitential throughout. Here's why Lent was created. Because we need to be punished for our sins. And if we're going to be happy and be able to celebrate our forgiveness on Easter Sunday, we had better get ourselves good and punished for 46 days leading up to the joy of Easter. Penance is punishing myself because of my sins. And it is the reason Lent was created. Now, it has evolved. All of our traditions won't use that word, but that is where it came from. So, why do I personally draw back from celebrating Lent, from observing Lent? And why does this church draw back from celebrating Lent? First, it is not prescribed or even mentioned in the Bible, so it is extra biblical. But more important than that, here's why I don't do Lent. Because Jesus fully satisfied the punishment my sins deserve. The Bible is clear. The gospel is clear. That when Jesus went to the cross, he completely satisfied all of the punishment my sins require. Jesus endured at the cross the full wrath of God's righteous requirement, his need for justice for my sins and for yours. So I don't, I don't participate in something where I feel like I have to give something up. I have to fast. I have to take on whether it's inward or outward signs and feelings of beating myself up, punishing myself for God to be happy with me. And listen, if you think penance is only a Roman Catholic idea, you are wrong. Because I meet with people over and over and over again who would never go tell a priest about their sins so that a priest will tell them things with which they need to punish themselves because they do just a fine job of that all on their own. Because here's the reality. We, we have a hard time believing this. 
the punishment for my sins already been served. That's a hard thing to wrap our minds around. When I sin, when I fail, I still feel like I deserve to be punished for that. Anybody else? Do you know why we feel like we deserve to be punished for our sins? Do you know why? Because we deserve to be punished for our sins. That's why we feel that way. That's the miracle of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the miracle of any forgiveness. You know what forgiveness is? The opposite of justice. Forgiveness is saying, you have hurt me. You deserve to pay for that. If I forgive you, I give up my right to make you pay, to punish you. That's what happened at the cross. You do deserve to pay for your sin. And at the cross, God said, someone's got to pay for your sin. And Jesus said, I pick me. And so God poured out all of the punishment you deserve for your sin on him. And now there's none left. He dumped it all out. That's, that's why when Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, it is what? It is finished. He didn't say to be continued. He didn't say, well, yeah, but just wait till you blow it. Like it's finished for people who uh, achieve a certain level. But it's not finished for you, Dave. Right? It's not really finished for you, Caleb. But some of you don't believe that's true about your sin. So we feel a need to punish ourselves, to lock ourselves in spiritual timeout. To feel until we feel really lousy and terrible enough about ourselves. And then maybe we can peek out of spiritual timeout and see if God likes me now. That's penance. You have a car loan or a home loan, or a farm note, or a credit card? Or have you any, ever had any of those things? On that glorious day, when you pay that off, some of you have experienced that. It's a good day, right? After you pay that off, are you going to keep sending the bank money? Are you going to keep making payments of course not. You know why? That's ignorant. That's why. <laughs> right? We would never do that. In fact, our bankers here in town would call you and be like, what are you doing? Your debt is paid. Why are you making payments on a debt that is paid? Listen, that's what we are doing when we feel the need to punish ourselves 
when our debt has already been paid. The reason I don't put us through Lent here, that we don't put ourselves through Lent here, a, a, a formal observance, is because, it's not mentioned in the Bible, but because our punishment has already been served. And penance is not only unnecessary, it is a denigration of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about some other church in town denigrating the cross of Christ. Because we do the same thing. Every time. We do something to punish ourselves because we've been so bad. This is a great introduction to the book of uh, Galatians, by the way, which will come next week. Now, I also won't prescribe Lent as a mandate. And listen, if you are doing something right now, a Bible study that's about Lent, or you're getting... I'm not... I'm not here to tell you you shouldn't be doing that. That's not the purpose of this at all. As long as it's not part of you punishing yourself. Okay? More on that in a minute. But also, when we or any church mandates Lent, here's our time period. You don't eat this on this day. You got to give something up. Make sure you post about it on Facebook. Uh, I think we are, when we do stuff like that, we are in violation of some stuff Paul wrote to the Colossians. He didn't, he didn't talk about Lent because Lent wasn't a thing yet, but we're going to read a couple things from the book of Colossians, and if you keep Lent in your brain, I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, the book of Colossians is all about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It's about what I've been talking about, that he did enough to make you okay with God. That's the gospel. And it's true. But it's hard for us to believe. So here's what we tend to do. We tend to think, well, yeah, but surely I've got to do some other things for God to like me. And in a, in a place called Colossae in the ancient world where the Colossians lived, they started believing things like, well, yes, Jesus sort of gets us started. He gets us in a good relationship with God, but it's up to us to keep ourselves there. And so here's some festivals, some seasons, some things you'd better do or God's really going to be upset. And here's what Paul, after Paul writes about the sufficiency of Christ Paul writes this in chapter 2. Therefore, because Christ has done enough, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or a festival or a season or a new moon or even the Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. Here's what Paul says there. Because Jesus has done everything it took to make God, like, pleased with you. He's in love with you. Not some future, improved version of you. You. Because that's true, 
Paul says, stop listening to people who tell you, oh man, if you eat that on that day, God's not going to be happy with you. Oh, you, this, this season, you've got to do, make sure you do these things on this day uh, during this time of the year or else. Like, or else what? Paul grants, there were times in the law that, that, that God gave us some of these things, but he says, they're the shadow and Christ is the object. Like, if I shine a flashlight on my little clicker here, it would, uh, it would cast a shadow, Right? Paul says some of the things in the Old Testament that God had Israel do were like shadows, but Christ is the object. We've got Christ now. We don't need the shadows. So he says, let no one keep stealing your prize, defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. Do you hear that? Stop listening to people who keep telling you, you are you lousy, no good Christian What are you doing walking around with a smile on your face after all you've done? You should be in spiritual timeout. And when your punishment has been worse than the enjoyment you got out of that sin was bad, we might let you out of there. That's self-abasement. He talks about something else they were struggling with. We pick him up again A verse later, verse 20, if you have died with Christ to the basic spiritual teachings of the world or the elemental elemental spiritual teachings of the world, I'm going to stop right there. You know what the basic spiritual teachings of the world are? God's mad at you or the gods are mad at you because you have offended the universe or God or whatever. We better figure out what we have to do for God to like us. I just told you the story of every religion in the world, except for one. Paul says, in the gospel, we died to the idea there's anything we can do to make God like us. He says, if you have died with Christ to the basic spiritual teachings of the world, why, as if you were still living in that world, Do you submit yourself to decrees such as, hey, don't handle that, don't taste that, don't touch that? These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement. He said on the previous one, he said, uh, we'll skip that. Let's keep going. Uh, They have the appearance of wisdom. It seems so spiritual, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem spiritual to, to walk around beating yourself up? To give things up? To fast? It's the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. But Paul says it is of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul says the truth is, it's not even going to help you be good. Because it keeps you the way, it keeps you away from the source of good. When I spend my life beating myself up about how rotten I am, I stay away from the one who is my joy and my life and who loves me.
So if I am going to willingly deprive myself of something, uh, something that is not sinful, by the way, and this is true for every tradition, all right? When we're talking about giving something up for Lent, fasting of something for Lent, no church would tell you that's the time to fast of sinful things. Like if you have a habit of stealing stuff, don't wait till next March to to just give that up, right? And don't start it over again on Easter Sunday, okay? That's true. Like it is very common this time of year to to examine my life. Hey, what what am I making an idol out of? What is something that I'm spending too much time doing? And I'm going to take a break from that. I'm not saying that's not a valuable practice, Let's say social media, the time I spend on Facebook, the time I spend playing video games, whatever it is, this stuff is, it's not probably good for me. I'm going to take a break from that. That could be very valuable. But if I do that thinking, if I just hold on long enough, God will be happy with me. And then Easter Sunday, right back into it, there was no value because If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God doesn't like you any more now than he did then. But if I am going to give something up that's not an idol, it's not sinful, I need to know why am I doing that? Why? Am I simply following the rules that some church tradition started that I, you know, if I want to get along there? Do I believe that this act of me giving this up and my, this self-discipline will make me more acceptable to God? Do I believe God will be angry with me if I don't? Is this what you think God is like? This is a caricature. But when you, sinner that you are, you're having if you're having a good day you're actually not depressed for once do you feel like god is in heaven looking at you going look at you down there enjoying yourself after all you've done you should be more like the jones family they've given up everything fun because they know how rotten they are Some of you, I think, believe that about God. Like he's waiting for you to get yourself miserable enough that he'll let you out, out of time out. Like Jesus didn't go in time out. He went to the cross. And he, he became your sin. And God dumped all of the wrath you deserve for your sin on him. All. Oh, this is why Paul can say there is now no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now. Not because sin isn't serious. It is. It hurts you. It hurts your families. It hurts your church. Like sin, still not a great idea. Okay, are we clear there? God has no need to punish me. 
God has no need to punish you because your sin's been fully punished if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul said, wrote to Timothy. Paul's writing this young pastor um, who's uh, you know, leading a church. And in, one, in, in chapter 4, Paul says this, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith. The real faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what that looks like. Falling away from the faith is paying attention to men who forbid marriage or require uh, abstinence in it because, again, God wouldn't want the real spiritual people don't do anything fun. And advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Believing, believing that I've got to beat myself up and be miserable because of my sin is falling away from the faith that Jesus was beaten up for my sin. I've got to, I've got to pull us away from this notion that part of the path of being near to God is hating myself because of what I've done. It's not going to work. It's not going to help. Do you know, when you were still doing everything you ever did, that's when God loved you enough to die for you. That's what Paul says. And the moment you first believed in Jesus Christ, you were as spiritually near to God as you ever would be. When we get stuck, when we get stuck in these habits of having to beat ourselves up, there's th certain things I've got to do for God to like me. We will wind up sounding a lot more like the people Jesus had the hardest time with when he was on earth. Right? Jesus constantly told the Pharisees things like, man, you guys, you teach the traditions of men as if they were doctrines of God. You guys, you make all these rules that people have to do for God to like them, and all you do is burden people down with stuff that doesn't work. That's what happens. It's so easy to feel like, yeah, but maybe I'm not sorry enough. Maybe I haven't suffered enough. Again, enough for what? For God to love you? Here's the proof God loves you. He killed his son. So he could know you. So why do we feel like we're missing out? Like, does church work if we don't all stand together and say the Lord's Prayer? Does it stick? Does it take? It's because we just want to make sure we are doing the right things to be okay with God. And when there's stuff I've grown up doing that I thought made me okay with God, if I stop doing them, I get scared. 
And here's the truth of the gospel. There's nothing you can do. If you would like to help pay for your own sin, you can. That's what hell is for. But I don't want to go there. And I don't want you to go there. And God sent his son through hell in your place so you don't have to. But please, please don't feel like, think like, or act like what he did is not enough for your sin. And understand what you're doing when you feel like that. You are telling them, you're telling him you didn't do enough. At least in other traditions, they have the courage to say that's what they're doing. We pretend we're being spiritual. Listen to the words of Jesus' best friend, John, now. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Again, am I okay with sin? No. Is the Bible okay with sin? No. So, John says, I'm writing you this letter, at least in part, so that you may not sin. But, if any of you lunkheads sin, what would you expect John to say next? If this was the church you grew up in, what would it say next? If this was your parents, what would they say next? If this was your spouse, what would he or she say next? My little children, I'm writing these things so you may not sin. And if anyone sins, you here's the things you had better do. And I don't want to see you smiling, happy, no joy for you. No. Here's what he says. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, good news. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Oh, you sinned. What's that mean? You're not righteous? We knew that already. I'm not learning anything new. He is righteous because you're not. And he himself is, very important word, the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here's what propitiation means. It's a sacrifice that turns away wrath. God doesn't have any more wrath he needs to pour out for your sin. Here's another place that the Bible tells us. But also, an important part of this verse is, not only for your sins, but for the sins of the whole world, which means when someone sins against me, and I feel like that person deserves some wrath and I'm more than willing to be the one to pour it out. He was the propitiation for my sins and for that person's also. It's not that I don't want to help someone out of what's bad for them. I do. But if my help includes wrath, who do I think I am? word about a couple of the other things quickly. Reciting the Lord's Prayer because I was asked about this later. Lord's Prayer is given in Matthew chapter 6. We all know it. The Our Father. Um, it is a beautiful framework from which to build prayers off of. 
Okay? If you want to know about that, look up the sermon I preached on that when we went through Matthew. I don't have time for that right now. So I spent my whole, the first third of my life standing up and reciting Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Guess what verse 7 says right before this starts? Was Jesus asks, uh, Jesus' disciples ask him, Lord, teach us how to pray. As part of the pre-instructions, he says, when you are praying, please do not use meaningless repetition. We didn't recite that part. I'll bet you didn't either. We took this beautiful framework for building our own prayers to talk to our God, and we stood up and used it for meaningless repetition, even though he told us not to. That's why we don't say it here. Also, we don't say it because I don't want you to think this is where Christianity happens. If I come here, this is what we want. I want to come to the holy place and see the holy man and do holy things so that he'll tell me my sins are forgiven based on what I do. I don't want you to think you can do anything to get your sins forgiven. I just want you to trust he did everything to get your sins forgiven. And by the way, if you'd like to recite this Lord's Prayer sometime, we can do that. Fasting. Is it okay that I'm not eating something right now? Is it okay if I'm giving something up? Sure. But how and why? Again, if you think your suffering makes God like you better, you are telling Jesus he didn't do enough suffering on your behalf. You just are. So, but Jesus said his disciples would fast. I've fasted. Here's the way I think it should work. God knows we need food. He made us. If I'm struggling with something, wrestling with something, uh, and, I, and I've done this, at lunchtime, I, I go to the Lord and say, Lord, I, you know I need food. You also know I need you worse. This is the time I usually eat. I'm going to put that aside and just spend some time with you because I'm just asking you for help here. Now, me giving up food doesn't put his arm behind his back and make him do what I want. It's not the way he works. But there is something in that spiritual discipline. It's fine. Jesus also did say, when you fast, don't do it like people he called the hypocrites who let everybody know that they are fasting. Thus my joke on going on Facebook and telling everyone what you're giving up. Fasting is fine. Fasting is good. All right, so to sum this up and throw the shoots here, why don't we do some of the more traditional liturgical things other churches do? One, because I don't want to give the impression that there are religious things you can come here and do that play a role in you being acceptable before God. That's not what we're doing here. I say, this all, I say this all the time. This is not the holy place. It's a Quonset shed with comfy chairs. I am not the holy man. I'm a guy you pay to have the time to write a book report once a week and share it with the class. Um, second, 
I want to avoid giving the impression that religious things can be a substitute for a daily relationship with Jesus. Those spiritual disciplines we talked about at the very beginning are powerful, important tools. But they are not tools to make God like me. They are tools to help me know God better, the one who saved me and loves me. Okay? So prayer and Bible study and church attendance, they're, they're important. Fasting and confession and repentance, those things are important, vital parts of our daily walk. But that stuff happens out there all week long. Not in here. And mainly, mainly we don't do these things just because. I believe and preach and beg of you to try to believe and lay in front of your heart every day. Jesus Christ did everything it took for the judge of the universe to drop his gavel, declare you righteous, and he's completely satisfied with the punishment that's been served for your sins. So why are you still beating yourself up? More on that in the book of Galatians. Because that's not for God, that's actually for you. To be continued. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I thank you so much for the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. God, it is hard for us to believe that Jesus was punished enough that we don't still need to punish ourselves. It's so easy to look at some other tradition sort of down our noses for the way they punish themselves. But if we are honest, we do it all the time. Like the rest of our sins, it's just a failure of our faith. We believe, help our unbelief, oh God. Help us trust in, depend on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the propitiation of our sins, and the sins of the whole world that you told us was true. We love you, Lord, and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand up, and we'll finish our time together.